This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am sitting here with April Blackford, which normally everyone can see, but actually only members can see April at this point. So um, Facebook, you will hear April, but you will not see her. Um, so uh, so yeah, the um, the topic tonight is going to be we've got so many moving parts. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I did not uh, miss anything. But the topic tonight is based off of the New York Times article that came out related to The Biggest Loser. And it pretty much confirms what, you know, we've been saying for a really super long time that chronically dieting is not only destroying a lot of people's metabolism, but it's messing with the amount of muscle. And so... That's going to be the big thought process. April, before we sort of get into, I had one real quick thing that I wanted to talk about before this, based off the discussion that we had um, last week. Any any interesting things coming up on your side? Which discussion? Which discussion? We've had like a bunch of discussions. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, is there anything interesting in your life going on, working oh, out? Okay. No other than I uh, uh, purchased a fancy, bright, colorful pair of running shoes to motivate me to start running. Oh, okay. So. Which brand? I mean, hopefully it's Reebok. With the um, the gel Nimbus, oh, the yeah. ASIC gel Nimbus. You're killing so me. So apparently for running, cycling, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, so the um, as most people know, we um, have a relationship with Reebok. We are Reebok's biggest affiliate. But I do agree with you. I, I tend to struggle finding running shoes. Um, the pump shoes that I had that were okay. Um, but, you know, I'm interested to try out their new... Uh, shoot, I can't remember the brand. We just ended up giving a whole bunch of them away. But, but they had a, a really cool um, design. Weren't they the... Weren't they the all-terrain shoes? No, I'm interested in, I'm definitely interested in the all-terrain shoes. I'm, I'm going to get a pair of the all-terrain shoes. And and just to clarify, I actually have like five pairs of Reeboks. Um, but I need a little bit more support in the arch area. So. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. I think, I think that, um, you know, Reebok tends to do a lot with, um, you know, kind of minimalist, type of, of, of shoes and so sometimes uh, the Asics tend to be a little bit better. I do have, I actually do have a pair of Reebok running shoes that I do like but in general there are some better known brands that people do tend to like. So last week I talked a little bit about recovering from addiction and what I wanted to do going into this topic was preface it with something that sort of related to that topic. So when I talk about recovering from addiction, the big theme was building a life that ultimately was, you know, one of meaning, right? And that the focus of just not drinking tends to not be enough. And so, you know, what, most of the addiction theory at this point believes is that as you build like this really meaningful life with 
surrounding yourself with people that care for you, that ultimately that is the best thing as it relates to recovery. But what I wanted to talk about, because you know, you hear people, whether it's food, whether it's addiction, whatever, they'll often talk about the fact that their family is the reason that they got sober or their kids is the reason or you know in the case of of losing weight you know that might be the case when i got sober i was 18 i had moved to minnesota i might be 19 at at the point of this story though and so basically, you know, I, I mentioned last week that the treatment facility that I went through was kind of a combination of, of um, psychotherapy and also addiction-based treatment. And then I went to Minnesota for nine more months of sort of pseudo, uh, you know, um, treatment where we could actually go out and, and work. You know, it was a little bit more than, say, a halfway house. There was more... Um, you know, counselors, psychologists, stuff like this that were in the facility. And when I left the facility, basically I, I, you know, had inpatient treatment for almost a year. And what happened was probably two to three months in, I was still going to meetings and I was kind of entrenched in the life. But there was a point where I was sort of all alone and I remember it so, so well. And I think it really fits for the ultimate theme of tonight. But I was alone. I didn't have anybody. The only person that, you know, I was accountable to was myself. And if I was going to get better, it was going to be better based on the relationship that I have with Paul Nobles. And... What ended up happening was I just wanted to drink and I just wanted to be done with it. And I was ready to chalk up basically a year and three months worth of work. And I was sort of frustrated with this and it was late at night. There wasn't a meeting available or anything like this. And so I didn't know what to do. And this was actually at the beginning of when they had cell phones. And so I had a cell phone at that time. And I started to, you know, look through my list of people that I could call, you know, in case of emergency. So what I decided that I would do was I would call all these people and that, you know, if I still wanted to drink after that, I would go drink and I would end my one year and three months sobriety at that time. And I'm sort of estimating because I don't really remember the exact date or anything like that, but it was, it was roughly about that time. So I called a couple people. Some people answered, some people didn't. It was 10, 11 o'clock at night. What I remember the most was having a few conversations. I never really let anyone in on the fact that I was about to go have a drink. Um, but I just had conversations and I was just saying, look, you know, I'm feeling alone here and, um, you know, I'm not seeing where the end game is, you know, and I don't really know, you know, I keep hearing about this amazing life that I'm going to have, but I kind of have this hole 
in my soul that the alcohol will fill right now. And whether we're talking about alcohol, food, sex, whatever, I think ultimately what we're talking about is a value proposition of what your life could potentially be compared to whatever this thing is going to feel right now, like how much hurt you potentially have. And I think if you have, you know, hundreds of pounds to lose, as an example, you may be looking at it as if your the the payoff, you know, isn't strong enough, you know, and you're wondering whether or not you are up for the challenge, right? So I call all the people that I can think of, and the only thing that I can remember the next morning was just waking up in my car at this local park. So basically what happened was, is I called people, and you know, as far as I know, I ended up falling asleep while on the phone with somebody. And so what I decided from that point forward is, if I ever got into that situation, I would do the exact same thing. And of course, I, I didn't drink. It's now been almost 30 years and I've been able to move on. The reason why this relates to the topic that we're talking about is I think people give in really easily and don't often think about, you know, they're very resolved related to whatever it is that they want to do on day one. But what happens on day 475 when you're not near as committed, you know, and you're really looking for kind of the answer. And I think that when we look at the holes that all of us have, and even after 30 years of sobriety, even after losing a bunch of weight, even, you know, dealing with all kinds of things in my life, those things still come up. You still work through problems that you ultimately have. And, you know, I, I, I want to get to the main theme real quick, but I wanted to say two, two things, two examples um, that were in my life that were, were pretty extreme. One hasn't turned out so great, and the other one actually did turn out kind of good. The first was my relationship with my brother. Once I'd gotten sober, um, I had met this woman who needed a fixer-upper, and I ended up being that fixer-upper, and, and we've been married for a very long time now. And uh, my stepbrother was really struggling with addiction issues and stuff like this, so I got him set up, and within the first couple months, he, you know, ended up doing well, but then, you know, fell into a bunch of bad habits, ultimately ended up using, did, was not able to build the kind of life that I was start, starting to build for myself. And recently someone asked me, you know, if I'd ever heard, if I'd heard from him for a long time, and I had to admit that I hadn't heard from him since you know, what it was like 1987 at that point. And they were like, really? Like, you know, you haven't talked to him at all? And for me, I gave him an opportunity to have what I had 
to go to the lengths that I went through. I provided him the path that I was able to do and I was willing to surround him with as much love as he could handle. But ultimately, he chose the other path and my life was going in another direction and so he had to be out of my life. And so, you know, I've seen him on Facebook. You know, if he called me today, I would answer. But in general, you know, my life is sort of headed in one direction. So you go, well, okay, that's your stepbrother. What about somebody that's a little bit more meaningful in your life? Well, one day, a lot of people talk to me about my relationship with women. I talk to a lot of women related to fat loss on a daily basis. And people are like, wow, you know, you have a way of talking to women that a lot of guys don't tend to have. And that is based on my grandmother. So my grandmother at one point called me up and she said, you know, hey, I'm having a problem. Yeah, I'm not going to go too much into this, you know, but she typically did not. She was kind of one of these people that tried to hide things from me a little bit. And so she wanted to make sure that I was in Minnesota building this good life for myself and moving on. So when she sounded like she was having trouble, I knew it was really trouble. So she said that, you know, my mother was hitting her. You know, and so I flew down within hours to Louisiana. Um, we confronted my mother. My mother ended up, you know, basically taking my grandmother's car. We called the police that the car was stolen and my mother went to jail. And so um, that took a while for my mother to sort through the feelings related to those incidents. But it was very clear that she was not going to be hitting my grandmother and that she was not going to be able to act the way that she did. That story had a good ending. That moment woke my mother up and a lot of the abuse that she was going through sort of stopped. You know, uh, she still used at times, but in general, the relationship with my grandmother was better and, and she knew that, that we were serious. So I think that when you look at the consequences of bad behavior, you know, you have to go, is it worth it? And what my wife, what my, what my mother or my mother in that situation decided was, you know, she wanted me in her life. She wanted my grandmother in her life. And and she really didn't have that many other options at that point. And so, you know, it woke her up. And it sort of brings me to the thought process as it relates to metabolism. Because when you look at the New York Times article, what they're talking about right now is basically that the biggest loser that almost all of the people end up gaining the weight back and that not only do they gain the weight back, but studies are proving that it's really just destroying their metabolism. Now, you know, anyone up on the science of this at all knows this, right? The basic idea, if you're not familiar, is that any kind of restrictive behavior is going to downregulate thyroid function it's going to you know mess with hormones 
and ultimately you're going to be benefited from more and longer diet breaks and when I say diet breaks I'm not talking about like a week or two weeks we're really talking about months sometimes six months sometimes a year you know Lane Norton as an example talks a lot about recovering um, your metabolism and he'll often say that you know how long is it going you know someone will ask him how long is it going to take to recover from from dieting and he asks, well how long have you been dieting and he says five years okay at least five years right I don't think people realize that they're snuggling up to a solution that is almost worse than the problem they believe that they have right and so when we talk about what a healthy thriving metabolism looks like what we're talking about is eating an adequate amount of food for what you do um, some level of resistance training I don't want to be like anti-cardio guy and I and I don't feel that I am I mean I, I do a fair amount of cardio myself but I think anytime you start talking about cardio the cardio people feel attacked and I, I think rightly so because there's so many articles that are talking about why cardio is bad for you. From a me metabolic standpoint, though, cardio is going to have some benefits, but the way that people use it, like in the case of The Biggest Loser, where they're you know, building these huge, huge deficits, you know, someone's saying, well, The Biggest Loser, if their metabolism isn't working, then nothing's going to work because they're training with weights. You can train with all the weights you want. If you're under eating by 3,000 calories, you are not sustaining your muscle and therefore you're hurting your metabolism. If you're in a lab and they're measuring your metabolism, what they're measuring is the amount of muscle that you have on your frame. And then as you go into more detailed metabolic cart, you know, VO2 max, all these types of things, now all of a sudden we can get into more details but in general for most people if you're eating an adequate amount for what you're doing and your training is keeping the muscle that you're trying to earn in the gym that's going to be a positive um any thoughts on what i'm saying april because obviously we're covering a lot of ground and i'm hoping to just you know <laughs> just move on Keep flowing, yeah. No, I think you're you're touching on a lot of key points. Um, I do agree about the you, you kind of touched on the cardio in general. Cardio, if you're utilizing it for you know to have a stronger heart, heart to you know to overall improve at it, it's one thing. But if you're constantly over utilizing it to create a larger deficit, just you know constantly digging yourself into a deeper hole, you're just basically utilizing it for the wrong reason. You know. You, you gotta have a you gotta have a balance with everything, you know, absolutely everything. Yeah, and I I think that you know what we've really tried to put across to people is that because a lot of people, you know, when they were talking in the comments about the article from the New York Times, there were some people saying, "Wow, this is depressing." You know, it means that there's no end game for me, or there was other people that would say, "Well." What's the answer? Well, in a lot of ways, it's the exact opposite of what they're teaching. I was talking to a client recently, and this was the first time I met this person that has a substantial amount of fat to use. And he said to me, 
I just feel lost and I don't know where to start, you know, because, you know, the hole that he has, he thinks is too big. And I said, well, we can start right now. Let's just walk around the building. Right. And people need to default to action. And the problem that that people have is they want to pull off the Band-Aid as quickly as possible. And that is not favorable as it relates to your metabolism. There's another key point, and we see this all the time, where people say, I've lost 100 pounds and I've been able to keep it off. In fact, one of the only success stories in the article, the woman that talked about it mentioned that, and she's actually lower weight than she was on the show, but she talked about having binge type behavior and feeling a need to be super, super restrictive. There's a reason for that, right? When everything that you're doing is, is, is based on building these huge deficits that compromise your metabolism, it will often paint you into like, you know, I always joke about it, but the chicken and kale cor corner, right? You're just painted to where you just don't have any flexibility as it relates to food. And so anything that you eat, now it's like, you know, open season. And I think for a lot of folks that are coming from using food as some level of comfort, they'll often struggle with, you know, finding a happy medium as it relates to what moderation looks like compared to these extremes that they're seeing examples. Because what the New York Times article is pointing out is that the biggest loser has harmed these people, right? The biggest loser has not just harmed those people. The biggest loser has harmed millions of people. And Bob Harper is often talking about 800 calorie diets and things of this nature. So they're really pushing this narrative of less, less, less all the time. Meanwhile, I'm publishing my food log. I ate 3,100 calories yesterday, did 3,200 calories worth of activity was able to do some level of resistance training. I just don't know why people think, you know, you can certainly have some level of recomposition if your calories are relatively close. Like the person that was saying earlier that, you know, if they can't retain their muscle and they're lifting weights, then, you know, that means we're all shot. No, it doesn't. What it means is if you can keep your calorie burn relatively close, especially on the days that you're doing, you know, resistance training, you'll often find that the nutrients load better. You know, I mean, we can certainly get into the carb discussions, but these things, you know, they come up over and over again. So I feel like, you know, we end up covering the same ground week after week after week. Um, any any thoughts on on um, that general um, idea? I was just going to point out you were talking about the the biggest loser is hurting millions of people, but I think a lot of people you know they watch the show and they 
they think, you know, that it's normal or it shows them that you supposedly need to be in a huge deficit or need to just kill yourself and starve yourself on both ends to be able to get the drastic results that they got. You know, but in the reality of it is anytime you get results that, that quickly, it's not sustainable for long, for long, for long term. But it made me think of, I'm not going to say the name, but you know who it is. It was someone that we met up at the, the meetup recently. Um, she's in the, the quick start group and she was in the, the group coaching for a uh, long period of time, but she's celebrating her one year anniversary with each perform. And she was telling me a story this morning in regards to, she always sends me her sleep log, her weight, her food every single day. She's consistent on it, you know, like clockwork. And I was commenting about how awesome her sleep was, you know, and she was telling me that prior to starting Eat It Perform, that her sleep was so horrible that she had been to so many doctors, they had sent her to so many specialists, had the sleep study done, and they ended up giving her the diagnosis of her with sleep apnea, which she tried to tell them that she didn't have sleep apnea because she slept with her mouth closed, didn't snore, you know, things like that. Gave her the machine, pushed her on her way, kept trying to, to give her sleeping pills, you know, Ambien and, and strong stuff, you know, which she wouldn't take. And as soon as she started eating an adequate amount and started regulating her overall hormones better, she sleeps. The problem solved. You know, the, the, the problem is solved. And just she was just telling me that alone, you know, that alone, you know, obviously getting stronger, having a better relationship with food. But she said that alone is just just huge just a huge milestone for her well and then yeah. the great thing about sleep you know and i talked about this a little bit in my journal this week was that when you get an adequate amount of sleep your non-exercise activity thermogenesis goes higher what that means is everybody always focuses on the number that they burn in the gym as if that is like this big enormous number the reality is, is that most of your calorie burn on a daily basis is going to be outside of the gym. And so if you under eat, you know, let's look at what diet is. Okay. If you're eating in a restricted way, basically you're adding a stress component to your life. Now, all of a sudden we add exercise and that's adding a stress component to your life. What do you think that that's going to do to the rest of your day? What do you think that that's going to do to your fatigue level? What do you think that that's going to do to your sleep? So we're not saying that you cannot diet and have a healthy metabolism, but it's sort of funny because as we're sitting here, you know, talking to people, they're talking about, I lost 30 days, 30 pounds in 30 days. And that's fine. I, I get that you know, for a lot of you guys, your journey is still fresh. And maybe some of the success you've seen up to this point is a positive. But the next level is really getting beyond that point where, you know, you're constantly talking about how little food you eat, you know, and you're really focusing on thriving and making sure that you're keeping an adequate amount of muscle. I mean, I'm not like, you know, someone said, you know, yeah, that's great, but you can't out eat a bad diet. Well, first of all, there's not a lot of people that have tried it. I will tell you, I have tried it. What I can tell you is that you can out eat a bad diet, but you probably don't want to. It's a lot of work, you know, 
And that amount of work is probably not something that if you're a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, right, is something that's going to work with your life. So we're all trying to find that compromise. But when you're looking at it long term, what April was talking about is sort of a widely held belief, you know, and there's always folks that are going to go, but my friend Marge, she lost X amount of pounds in six months and she's kept it off for the last 40 years. That's awesome. Your friend Marge is an outlier. Okay. The good majority of people are more likely to recover from cancer than they are to diet successfully. And so when April says that you're more, um, you have a better chance of getting acclimated when you do things slower over a long period of time. What she's really talking about is taking shorter periods where you're deficit dieting. Then you're actually, actually, this is the, you know, the reason why I've been doing my reverse and showing people my weight, my journal, my, my activity log is because that's where everyone struggles. You know, most people can lose 10, 20 pounds, right? They just don't know how to reacclimate because one, you know, they don't start with a great baseline. So that's gonna be probably the main piece that we're gonna, you know, start with, right? If you have an adequate baseline, when you look at the way most online calculators, you know, professionals like us, most people are basing deficits off of the 500 calorie number, which is basically times seven is 3,500 calories is a pound. So if you're looking at slow gradual fat loss, you might be looking at a pound up to two pounds a week, sort of depends on how much fat you have to use. Here's the problem though. People just go, you know, I'm going to put in my height, weight and whatever, and then they just assume they're actually eating that much. And then they just set the deficit as low as they possibly can, as fast as they possibly can. More stress, more stress with work, all these different things. And they're really struggling finding kind of the end game there. What we believe is that if you have a baseline and you're able to set that baseline and you are getting better at exercise as a result, especially over the course of time. If you've been struggling with weight loss, fat loss for a very long time, usually taking three to six months to establish a baseline is going to be healthy for just about everyone. And it's going to give you a much better chance of success. Just going to the lowest number just isn't working for a lot of folks. And let's face it, let's be real. You know, that's something that I struggled with for roughly 10 years where I tried, you know, I would do the, the kind of the rinse and repeat dieting cycle that most people struggle with. And once I was able to establish a higher baseline, making movement a priority in my life, that's the only thing that ever really worked. So then we talk about the reverse and how important the reverse is. But then we look at what's the most valuable thing as it relates to maintaining your metabolism. And that's longer periods of eating an adequate amount for what you do, some level of resistance training, some level of cardio. So my argument for cardio, because there's a lot of people that are, are anti-cardio, and I always feel like I need to defend the cardio folks, because 
Cardio is certainly going to be favorable as it relates to recovery. It's going to be favorable as it relates to um, resting heart rate, you know, all these different things. And so, you know, that's going to be a piece that you're going to want to have. But certainly resistance training has to be in the mix because when we look at the obesity epidemic that everybody's constantly worried about and everybody's constantly talking about, when we see it, what we often see is people don't have enough muscle. They're not making muscle a priority. They're not eating an adequate amount of protein for, for the amount of work that they're putting in. Or they're just, like I said earlier, trying to build these huge deficits. But one interesting thing off of you know, what April was saying, and this is also a really important piece and something that you'll see with my you know, weight graph that you know I'm publishing every day for everyone to see. I you know I challenge all the other people, right? I'm not like this, you know, I'm not like shredded or anything like this. I'm a I'm a healthy guy, you know. I was 230 pounds at one point, you know, and I was able to lose 80 pounds of fat in that process. But the biggest thing that most people do wrong is they don't want the scale to go up. And if the scale never goes up, it ain't going to go down. So if you think that I went from 230 pounds, you know, to ultimately 150 and then added 30 pounds of muscle, that ain't how it worked. There was a lot of peaks and valleys in that scenario and people discount the valley, the, the value of the peaks, you know, and how, you know, moments where your body is acclimating to more calories you know so like today I'll probably end up with 21 2200 calories on a rest day yesterday was a fairly active day 3100 calories I would say on average right now even on a reverse I'm probably averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of 26 to 2700 and as my volume goes up it's 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 really amazing you know when you sleep eight nine hours a night how much energy you have throughout the day without having to go to caffeine and stimulants and all these things that people are so reliant on. Not saying that I don't use those things as well on occasion, but certainly being, you know, having more sleep helps. Um, any thoughts on that before we get into a little bit of Q&A? There is, uh, yeah, somebody's saying maintaining is harder than losing weight, I think. And and yeah, that's that's sort of the point. The problem is, is that, you know, when, you know, I got down to 177, you know, I've been very vocal about the fact that, you know, I have kind of a buffer. And so the ceiling that I sort of set is 180. So I have kind of a three pound, you know, wiggle room that I work with. And so, you know, when I get closer to that 180 number, you know, I just, you know, do some level of cycling, you know, it, it really depends. I mean, I have to say, when it comes to volume, volume is so huge and resistance training is so undervalued. You know, when I was going through my performance focused fat loss, I wasn't able to get in a lot of resistance training. I was still able to work out two to three days a week. Now that I've been able to add more volume in, you know, did hill sprints or, well, hill sprints twice, aerodyne sprints once, um, was able to, to lift weights four days last week, 
And I mean, it's just so much easier to kind of be in control of your weight when the nutrients that you're taking in load better and they load better and they go into the cell and get used as energy much easier when you're asking your body to do kind of things that are, you know, somewhat difficult without the huge burns of, you know, running 12 miles or 20 miles or whatever, you know, because that has um, good and bad to it. When I say someone's someone's asking about volume, when I'm talking about volume, mostly I'm talking about sets and reps with rest. I was going to say that I was very successful with maintaining my weight for, if you recall, which I don't really talk about it a lot, but, you know, after I finally got out of the, the dieting mentality and worked my calories up, I purposely very, very slowly um, very slowly built my calories up to 20, between 2,400, depending on the day. Um, but I purposely gained weight. I purposely gained weight, but it was over the course of a year. So it was extremely slow, but I, I did it like that on purpose. And then after I got to the weight that I was comfortable with, I hung out there. So I hung out there for another year and just made gains, you know. But I'm like you, I had that buffer of, you know, two to three pounds plus or minus, you know, on any given day. And as long as I stayed within that buffer, you know, I was good. Um, I do think a lot of people tend to focus. They have the top a all or nothing mentality and they stress over, you know, say for example, they have a plan of, you know, this is what I'm going to do this day that I strength train and this is what I'm going to do on the days that I do cardio, whatever. And life happens. And rather than getting discouraged and oh, I've ruined it, you know, I'm a failure. You know, do you look at your weekly averages? And that's what I always did. You know, some days you're just not hungry. You eat a little less. And some days you're super freaking hungry and it's okay to eat a little bit more. You know, so it's kind of looking at the big picture and the overall averages versus stressing over one single day. Yeah, I do wish, I do wish, in this instance, I do wish people could see you based on what you just said, you know, just because you know, we're talking about a very fit person. Um, and, and, and I think that it's this rigidness related to food and rigidness related to weight that ultimately doesn't allow people to have a thriving metabolism and doesn't allow them to reach some of the goals that, you know, they might be struggling with. Right. And so, you know, when you talk about, what a thriving metabolism looks like, what, you know, PRs look like. Really, you know, we're talking about eating in a little bit of excess at times. So we do have one question from our members. I know we have a lot of questions on the site and there is no shot at getting through most of them, but we'll see if we can get a few of them done. So Matthew's asking for PFFL, what is the typical spread between normal macros and PFFL macros? I mentioned it earlier. Basically, you're looking at um, anywhere from 500 to 700. The reason why I would say 500 to 700, it, it depends on the individual. I mean, there's a lot of athletes that are five feet tall that, you know, might not be shooting for you know, one pound a week, it's not even a realistic goal for them. So 
But in general, if you you know press me to the mat, I would say 500 to 700 calories as it relates to the deficit. And the 700 is basically because there's going to be at least one day, seven to 10 days in, where you're going to want to have kind of a you know readjustment period similar to what we talked about. We call it Wave Plus. The one problem that I have is that there's a lot of people that call it a refeed day. And it really isn't a refeed day. And if you're not familiar with refeed days, refeed days are basically people starve themselves over a very short period of time and then they just go ape shit on one day. And I don't believe that that sets up a good relationship with food. So I don't like the fact that eat to perform is associated with something that I think is bad behavior. What I believe is, and what the science that we have shows, is that we can upregulate people's metabolisms without, you know, having to, you know, shock their system the way that a refeed day would. So he's saying that seven months prior to eat to he was bulking, so using the eat to macros. Um, what you say in 25, 15, 21, 15, actually started losing weight, which is fine because I was interested in performance focused fat loss. I'm just wondering where I need to be for PFFL. Well, if you're losing weight, what you're essentially doing is a recomp. And, you know, a recomp probably makes a lot of sense. Now, there's, you know, a number of factors that I would have to ask Matthew that honestly we're not going to be able to address here. But I'd want to know what, you know, body fat percentage is. I'd want to know a lot of different factors and then walk him through what his training cycle, how he sets that up, and then how, you know, what would be the best path to move forward. Um, one of the things that's being asked about that I thought was kind of interesting, and I'm, I'm just, just, there's so many people that are like, you know, really throwing out a lot of messages related to eat clean. Do you, do you got the, the clean people, do you guys really think that it never occurred to anyone to eat meats and veggies? Because I think that's pretty much occurred to, to everyone since they were four years old, right? And I, I, I eat whole foods, April eats whole foods, but we have to quit thinking that these, there's these simplistic answers for people and that solves all problems, right? And I mean, I'm all for the chicken and kale, but if you really think that people dealing with very difficult problems, their only issue is to eat more chicken and kale, I just got to tell you, you're missing out on you know, it's, there's just a level of empathy that I wish more people had in that situation. And I, and we do believe in moderation. One person asked about creatine. And I think that that's kind of interesting, um, especially if you're doing some level of resistance training, something like weight, you know, weight, lifting weights, something like that, um, or body weight movements. Creatine is basically going to give you more energy for your reps. Is it going to you know, turn you into a, a Hulk or a She-Hulk. No, it's not. It's sort of known for bloating. Um, I think typically you can deal with bloating with dose. You can also deal with bloating as it relates to volume, you know. Um, I tend to use Progenics Amplitude right now. I've been using that for probably three weeks 
Previous to that, I was using a similar product, but this is loading so good, feeling real good about my, my energy levels and stuff like that. I think most people that struggle with creatine either are just dosing too much or they're not doing the, the right kinds of work to get it to load or they're just not allowing it to process and they're just you know loading their five grams every single day and just doing it and going you know I'm loaded it's like well there's always some level of adjustment for everyone so Kathy's asking hi Paul in April was advice for women that a weight plus day should be more like once two to three weeks rather than seven to ten days your thoughts I think it depends on the individual really you know for instance, um, I've seen women that are seeing the scale go down four to five, six pounds, and they're still seeing things going in that direction, which is positive. I have one rule. If you are in a groove, stick with that groove. Don't fuck with it, <laughs> right? And so um, – I think the biggest mistake that people make is when things are going well, they want to intervene too much. You know, the idea of performance-focused fat loss, the way that Eat the Perform teaches it, is we want you in and out as quickly as possible. In my case, I set a goal for 10 pounds loss, took seven weeks, boom, I was done. Had my three-pound three, three pound blowback. I'm actually much more concerned related to the reverse than I ever was about the PFFL. And like I said, I think most people know how to lose weight. I think ultimately, if you're struggling losing weight and you think you have a compromised metabolism, it's almost certainly because you're snuggling up to less too often, you know, or you're snuggling up. You know, see, that's one of the things I have with the whole clean food thing is that what you're really talking about is lowering calories, right? When we're talking about eating a diet of mostly vegetables and lean meats, you know, maybe even some fats, we're still really talking about kind of keeping your calories artificially low. And whenever we have someone that is a clean eater and we have a ton of them, you know, we have them start becoming a little bit more aware of how much chicken and kale they're eating. And that is enlightening and often it ends up being a little bit lower what I would say to you Kathy is that if for two to three weeks you're seeing the scale go down fairly consistently and that's working I would continue on that path if you start to plateau I would definitely mix in a weight plus day at that point you gotta also remember that the way that we're setting you guys up is not very restrictive right so once again you know, I know we all have our comfort foods and whenever we're out of out of the norm of what the way that we normally eat, that we sort of miss those things. The way that we sort of set it up, we'd like you to keep those in just in 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 moderation, obviously. Um, any thoughts to her question? I would say um, generally with with um, weight group coaching clients, I'm, I generally recommend, you know, like what you said, if the scale is trending down and you're seeing movement, you know, and your, your energy levels are good and your hunger is manageable, then carry on. Um, I usually implement one if the, um, the scale starts kind of plateauing and they're overly hungry. And also kind of dependent on the overall, the, the burns and performance, you know, if the performance is taking a dive, they're hungry, 
skill stagnant, it's, it's, it's obvious that it's time for a hotter day. Yeah, someone's asking about aminos, and they asked a really long question, and someone else said, what are aminos? And basically, proteins, aminos, virtually, you know, everything's going to break down into aminos for the most part. Um, your your um, cells tend to be um, amino acids as well, so you want to make sure that you're keeping um, that. In in the instance of, of what they're talking about, they're talking about branch-chain amino acids. I'm not you know, negative on branch chain amino acids. I have some in my house. I don't eat them very much. The reason why people like them is they're an incomplete protein with a very low calorie point. You know, I mean, we always play this game, right? You know, what do you think of the value of this really low calorie thing? And what do you think of the value of this really hard thing that I want to do in the gym? And like, we don't ever really explore the other side of things that expand your metabolism. So Matt, you're asking a kind of similar question, but I have a lot of incomplete information. Is there any way we can maybe have this conversation in the forums or the quick start group or something like this? Because you're asking me, you know, should you be at a 500 to 700 calorie deficit based on 2515 and 2115? I mean, you know, if we're talking, you know, um, you know, even a 500 calorie deficit that puts you at, at 1600. I, I, you know, when I was in my performance focused fat loss, I don't know, you know, how big you are. I don't know your, you know what I'm saying? Like you get, I don't have any information, so I can't give you the secret to fat loss based on, you know, the questions that you're asking right there. But if we can deal with that in the forums, that will allow me more information that will give you a better answer. I will tell you this. I'm 5859. When I set my deficit, it was basically 2,000, 2,200, and 1,800, and I never had to go to 1,800. I was able to keep my activity up high enough so I saw a consistent deficit. And now that I'm reversing, you know, typically, you know, I've been able to get my calories up on workout days close to or more than 3,000 most of those days. And then usually on my rest day, my rest day today, like I said, it'll probably be around 2,200. It's sort of interesting though, because as we're you know talking and, and people are asking questions, there's a lot of people answering the questions within the, in the comments. And they're not necessarily, you know, there's just like random people on the internet, you know? Um, I'm sure many of them have some experience, but, you know, I just get concerned about people, um, you know, taking advice from strangers on the internet. So Jackie's saying, last week I was sick and my Fitbit showed a calorie burn of 2200 2700. I did no workouts, but did do my job as normal. The week before that I worked out every day and the Fitbit showed me the same average calorie burn. Am I doing something wrong? I wouldn't say that you're doing something necessarily wrong. Um... You know, I can't say that that my activity tracker often does show, as an example right now, you know, I have a, a Fitbit on and it's showing my steps close to 13,000. I've not worked out. I haven't really only walked around the house most of the day, but, you know, I am sort of a pacer. My calories burned are 2,600. I know my wife wants to go for a walk after this webinar. So my calories are probably going to end up being somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,100 to 3,500 calories. Um, 
I would I would just like to add the the possibility for Jackie that um, generally the the trackers like Fitbit, whenever they um, track your heart rate, whenever you're sick, your heart rate, your resting heart rate will be elevated. So it's going to be elevated because your body's stressed and trying to recover, depending on the sickness, if she had a fever, whatever. And it could just be that her heart rate was higher and, and gave a, a false power burn if she truly was sedentary. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are a lot of factors that would come in there. I will say that, you know, like I said, even though my calorie burn is going to be fairly high today, my intake is not going to be super high and that's okay i don't need to have a super high intake on the days that um i'm not working out you want to like be a little smart about that though because you know if your deficit ends up being too low on your rest days sometimes that will carry over into the days that you're working out so Matthew's asking which form should I use to continue this question. I would say if you are a Quick Start member, if you could use the Quick Start group, that would probably be the easiest way for me. That's the most likely way that I would see it that gives you access to Facebook. Otherwise, you can go to the forum, seek out a coach, and they should be able to help you there. Um, if you're relatively new, and it sounds like you are relatively new, um, what they're going to want to do is see a little bit of history from you before we start talking about what a deficit looks like and things like that. So, you know, a little bit of, of legwork there will help the process along as we go. So anyway, um, I think we're going to end on that note. I suspect that people were very interested in this topic i will try and go back between either um probably not today but tomorrow morning i will look at uh the questions that people came up with on this video the only problem is is that it has somewhere in the neighborhood of about 250 comments so i will do my best to uh try and get to maybe the major themes and then kind of go from there. But anyway, I appreciate everybody being here. This was a great topic and I hope it was very enlightening, especially for people that are sort of new to eat to perform and everyone's asking, you know, what's the answer? The New York Times really never gave us the answer. We gave you the answer on here. And the answer is slow and steady wins the race you know, and some level of patience. The one thing that people tend to want to default to is to pull the Band-Aid off as quickly as possible. And what I really, you know, from back to my original story where, you know, you just did whatever it took to get by, you know, the trial and error process isn't always you know, something that's going to be, you know, linear, right? You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. I think that people want to get, you know, to deal with their pain so much, you know, pain being fat loss or whatever it ends up being, that they're really not learning the valuable lessons that will take them, you know, to a lifetime of understanding, right? 
And that's what we're really trying to help people do. So my dog is now barking upstairs. So I appreciate everybody being here. Carla's saying she just missed it. That's okay. You can watch the... <laughs> the what you can watch the replay i always think it's funny someone says um ept rocks so early pregnancy tests rock um but it's, it's funny people, people say people mix us up with early pregnancy tests so all right matthew yeah let's we'll we'll get you in the forums and we'll get you hooked up brother all right guys talk to you later good night everyone